<laughs> it's like, really scared me there. <laughs> Put out this big, big expectation. <laughs> and I feel the same way about your pastor and his beautiful wife. I couldn't wait to get here. It was like coming back to family. And I do have family in Selma. I haven't seen it in a long time, but anyway, I am a northerner, if you can't tell. And the first time I came down to Alabama, I think it was in 1971, and I felt like I was going into a foreign land. But then God, <laughs> I really did, and then God relocates me from New York to North Carolina. So I've been there f since 1989, and look at this, I'm doing this. That's okay. Huh? No, it's okay. But you're in for a treat this week because God has so much in store, his riches that he wants to unlock in each of you. So I want you to, to raise up your level of expectation. It's not about coming to hear anyone. It's not about even, well, we'll study the Bible more. It's about impartation. It's about what God wants to release from what he's taught me into your being that you can impact a region or a nation, your home, your communities, your work, wherever. And I've just seen, I've been doing this now, uh, doing prophetic schools, and uh, this is a school of the Holy Spirit, I've done that, and prayer workshops, but really, when I do the school of the prophetic, or the school of the seer, or the school of the supernatural, so many exciting things transpire. So you get to know when there's fruit somewhere that you need to stick with it, you know, until he moves you on to plant and to grow some other type of fruit, but... This has been such um, a journey for me. I remember the first time um, I was thinking about doing a school. It was uh, in 1999. Uh, we had planted a church along with another couple. And I always like to do things where I see there is nothing going on. I say, well, I'll do it because I don't see anything. And that's kind of how the Lord has used me over the years I see what's lacking, and then I'm like the gap filler. So I always needed personal prophetic mentoring and training myself. And that became a great void in my life when I was saved. I was uh, very zealous for the Lord early on, but I was without any wisdom. And he gave me this gift. He, I know now that he's given this gift. He's released this gift according to 1 Corinthians uh, 14.31. It's a gift to the whole body of Christ. And only those who will receive that revelation of it really will get to walk it out. So I just pray that you'll receive the revelation that you're all called to be a spokesperson for the Lord. You know, that's a mighty powerful sense of responsibility, but it also can be a lot of fun. <laughs> and, you know, you ha we have to enjoy the journey instead of being so uptight as believers. Because I think sometimes we are far too uptight and we put such false expectation on ourselves to be something that God never intended us to be. And he wants us broken of a performance mentality that we have to perform for God rather than just be and commune with God and release his heart toward people. So we have to shift the way that we think in order to grab hold of kingdom truths. We really do. Well, anyway, when I, I'm just going to give a little bit of a testimony tonight on how the word of the Lord came to me and moves through me so that you too can understand that you're, we're all just people. We're just people that, you know, love the Lord. And I haven't found many believers that really don't want to do his will. They're either afraid of it or they don't know how to tap into that. So perhaps this week you'll just receive some wisdom keys on how to be free and knowing that you can be a spokesperson for the Lord, among other things. Anyway, when we had pioneered a church, in 1999, and around 2000, Steve Thompson, who was out of Morningstar Ministries, I had gone down to Morningstar Ministries because I was really uh, kind of enamored by freedom in the spirit. You know, it was like I was very used to being a churchgoer, and I liked to raise my hands, and I liked to dance, but that was kind of the limitation to it. I really didn't know what freedom looked like. I was still bound up in many ways. So I would go to Morningstar, and I'd look around, and I'm like, these people are free, and they're all so crazy. <laughs> but I wanted to be like, I wanted to be freer than I was, you know. And there's always a longing in us to express more of what we have of God. And for some reason, it gets locked in these earthen vessels. So I just pray great freedom over you this week, that you'll learn to be uh, 
comfortable in your skin and comfortable and confident in, in your pastors and comfortable that this is a house that encourages you to be you. And I think that is the greatest freedom ever given to man is that to just be who we are, to just be ourselves. But within that capsule of us, just be ourselves, there's a whole power resident in us to be so much more than what we currently possess. And I believe this weekend, God wants to just take the cork out and, and unleash us. And you're going to be amazed at what happens by the end of the week because God is just going to meet you and meet us corporately in a supernatural way, and you will be changed. I guarantee that. Anyway, when um, Steve Thompson came to our church after I'd visited Morningstar, we kind of put an application in to have him come to our church, and he picked our name out, and he said he prayed, and he was supposed to come to our church. So he came, and he, he brought some people, and he, he spoke, and he did a little bit of training in the prophetic, not a whole lot, but something happened when he came. The word of the Lord got really stirred up in us, and I saw there was tremendous power in impartation. And he commissioned me as a trainer, and I was really talking him out of doing that because I said, you, you have no understanding of where I came from. You don't know I used to be involved in witchcraft, and I used to be involved in, uh, you know, mind reading. So I was very familiar with knowing things about people in a wrong sense of the word. So here now I'm a believer, and I don't want to do any, you know, witchcraft in the body of Christ now, you know. I was very, I understood that it was easy to read people. So I didn't want any kind of mixed seed going on. And he says, you know what, don't worry about it. He says, the fear of the Lord keeps you safe. And I always remember that. I said, you know what, that, that word of wisdom empowered me because I really did have a fear of the Lord. And I've got to tell you that it really is the fear of the Lord that will keep you safe. So anyway, I proceeded to start. I says, okay, now I got commissioned here. We'll do a prophetic um, thing on Sunday afternoons. I had like 20 they were all women. I had 20 women sign up. for So for one year, we learned together. Because here I'm the leader, and I really don't know what I'm doing here. But by the end of that year, we had developed prophetic teams, and we invited people to come in to, to get a, the word of the Lord. And, and, you know, it was just amazing things were happening. So from that point on, I would just do prophetic trainings and teachings, and I would just watch God do it as I was just a facilitator. And I just uh, was given the release to empower them not to be afraid, and we're going to learn these steps together. So anyway, as the year goes by, I'm still doing this. <laughs> and I love it because I see so much fruit. It really unlocks so much. So I went on from doing it. I've done this in Nicaragua. When we went, to, were you with me when we did it? All right, another time I had done a school in Nicaragua, and I said, I want everybody wearing green to come forward. And they were all the ushers. They were wearing green. Well, they were all under the age of 14. Some, you know, I couldn't, you know, they were all short people, so I couldn't tell who was 14 or who was 50. But, like, 50 children came up. 50 of these kids wearing these green coats came up. And at the end of the training, I says, I want you to just prophesy. Pick someone out and just prophesy. Well, these kids were so fluent in the prophetic and what I really did was I just released them into be who God really created them to be. And some of them were crying, and they're giving these awesome words of the Lord, and it was awesome. I didn't know what they were saying because I didn't have a translator for every person. But I could tell you this much, that God was in that room, and they were being released into great freedom. So anyway, over the years, um, this is pretty much uh, my heartbeat. I love to see people released into their destiny. And uh, I know that God, I know he wants to untap something in this region. When we brought prophetic ministry into our church, it changed the culture of our church. And our church is known in the region for having the pure word of the Lord. And many people come, some will come for a season, some will come just to get a prophetic word, but it's undeniable that there is a prophetic mantle over the church. And it really has grown the church tremendously because people are so hungry, A, to hear direction for their lives, B, 
B, they need to know they're loved and that God knows their name and hears what's going on in their situation. And both of those things happen in the prophetic word. So I believe that this is opening up something in, in the church here. You're a seed for greatness for this region. And if you will avail yourselves and allow yourselves to be an instrument, it will shape and change the community. It really will. So how many are on board with this? Okay. How many have, have any of you ever been to anything like this, a prophetic training or a school? Okay, four of you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to read something to you. I was in uh, Panama in 1997, and I said, Lord, really, what is the shape of what I'm to do wherever I go? And I know for many ministers in here, you always feel like you have to have a fresh word, or you're looking for something new, and it really is not what you're going to teach or what you're going to share. It's what you're going to impart, and each of us imparts something. There's negative impartation, too. But we're always imparting either death or life to other people through our tongue. And I want you to understand that wh whatever you speak, you're imparting something that will change people's lives, good or bad. Thank God the prophetic is an awesome, positive tool, and uh, we are creating life. But the Lord spoke this to me, and um, this was really my heart since then. Everywhere I go, it's not what I'm going to share, teach. I'm not the greatest teacher. I don't even believe I'm the greatest speaker in the world. But I know there's impartation in here because I can only impart to you what I possess. And uh, my heart is, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by our mutual faith. And really, think about that. You want to have something to impart to others as believers. It, it's not uh, any longer just the fact that you're going to church and you live your life in a moral way. That, that's, that's good and that's noble, but that doesn't change a culture. What changes a culture is an individual who has substance that they impart life. That shapes a culture. And we can only do it one person at a time. And I liken it unto this. I can only impart what I, own, what I personally have ownership or possess. So if you possess great faith, you, God has given you authority to impart it. So because um, that has become really my heart, it is about impartation. So it's about something tangible that will be released to you this weekend. Amen? So <clears throat> there's other benefits from speaking before people. And... Somebody watched me on um, TV, and we have a live stream at our church, and they said, that girl needs an iPad. <laughs> so she, this woman took me shopping and bought me an iPad because she watched me. <laughs> but I'm not using it yet because I'm still learning how to navigate through it, and that's another message in itself. But I still, you know what, I still love my Bible, and I hope that pages in a book never go out because you can just scroll down on some screen. I still like my Bible. If you have your Bible, you have your iPad, or you have whatever, go to Isaiah 11. <clears throat> and I'm going to lay a foundation tonight. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And really here in verse 1, it speaks about Jesus and what he possesses. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And then it goes on to talk about the lion will dwell with the lamb, blah, blah, blah. But any, what I want to show you here is all that Christ possesses here in seed form in the Old Testament you and I 
possess. Some of us realize it, and yet others don't. But this is our heritage as believers for us to possess, that the Spirit of God resting upon us, and we know in the New Testament it, it kind of took a different shape. No longer does it rest upon us, but in the New Testament it rests within us. The spirit of wisdom, and we're going to talk a lot of this week about wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And then we're going to talk a bit about discernment, and that unfolds in verses 3 here. It says, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Some of this is not in your notes. This is just, I'm laying a foundation here tonight before we'll go to that. But we need to be a people that learn and shape our lives so that we learn how to not live as a natural people by what we see with our eyes and what we hear with our ears. And, and for us, that will be an adjustment a major adjustment for some because we're so used to this natural earthen realm. I see thus and so, so it must be, or I hear this. But if Jesus himself did not judge by what he saw with his eyes or heard with his natural ears, he could not assess anything in a right way. So we have to be a people that take a step over and learn how to live comfortably in the supernatural realm as a supernatural people. And really, that is the major adjustment that separates the body of Christ. That's where we are intended to step on over. Like Joshua, he had to cross over. He had, Moses was dead. He had to cross over into something new. He's a type of Christ. We have to step over and begin to walk in a territory that's really unfamiliar and not known. And by that, I talk about spiritual navigation. I'll, I'll go into that later. But anyway, the only way that I have learned how to do that, and the only way that you will be able to do that, I don't like this word, but successfully, is through intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is beyond your prayer language. That's just an evidence. That's just um, a vocal expression. That's just the unleashing of a tongue that communes with God. But that's not the end all. I think people look at the Holy Spirit as just a prayer language or an overshadowing and overcoming of a heavy presence at times. And yes, those are part of it. But that's not the whole, the totality of what we're called to live in. We're called to be a people that live in the spirit of God by his spirit that empowers us to do all things. So I have a handout in here. It, it starts out with intimacy, with, if you'll turn to that. See, this is a school, so it's not preaching it's I'm going to walk you through some things that you'll be able to really, you know, uh, dig into. And feel free to take notes. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You know, before I start on here, when I got saved, I was saved November 28th, 1979 at an Amway convention in Schenectady, New York. My life radically was shifted that day in that I was a sinner, and then I felt free from sin. Was that power? Absolutely. That was the most awesome day in my life. Although I really didn't change all that much after salvation. I knew that my sins were forgiven, and I knew there was a God. I had no prior learning. I was a Catholic, and I didn't experience anybody witnessing to me. It was, he just had an altar call, and all I knew was that I was supposed to go forward. It was, I was being drawn by the Spirit, but I didn't understand that. And then when I got saved that day, 
I felt free, and I felt connect, and I felt the very presence of God. And it was a powerful um, change in my life that marked my life from that moment on. But I didn't really change in every facet of my life. I found after that the only thing that happened when I got saved was that I stopped cursing. <laughs> I had a really bad mouth. That immediately went, and I started repenting from my mother for all the things I did when I was a teenager. And, you know, I just felt like I had to confess. So it, it uh, re healed relationships, and I had a desire to go to church. But I remember that was November, and then I remember the following October, I'm saved, and I end up at a Halloween party dressed like a prostitute. Now, this is crazy, right? And I was still compromising, and I was still having fun. I was trying to hold on to all I knew. We were still hanging out with the same people. And I'm like, that was the first time at that Halloween party I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I felt like, this is not right. Th this, I just wanted to cover up and go home. And uh, Andy was dressed like a, a pregnant Italian woman with a wig on. It was hysterical. <laughs> I still have a picture because I remember those days. But shortly after that, I went to a church, and I sat in the back, and it was a very charismatic church uh, called the Upper Room, and my friend, she begged me to go with her. I was in a, another church. It was a good church, but it was good. I'll say that. So, come to my church. Oh, they dance, and there's excitement. And I went there, and at the time, there were probably 150 people. Now there are 20,000 members of that church in New York. And when I went there, I sat in the last row, and he stopped. Pastor Tony D'Onofrio stopped the service, and he said, there are people in here that are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. And all of my friends, they're pointing out to me, they're going, go up, go up, go up. And in my natural mind, I'm going... I want to die inside. I did not want to go up. I, my flesh is crawling. I, I'm very uncomfortable. I'm very intimidated. And because I was so intimidated, I wanted them to be quiet, leave me alone. So I stood up and I went on that line. But I stood in the back so they would just leave me alone. So he, he stops and he goes, you in the back. So anyway, I come up, and he prayed over me, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on me like a dove, and, you know, I had a prayer language, and he put me on the microphone. Blah, blah. I had the, a three-day visitation from the Lord, out-of-body experience after that. That radically changed my life, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that spiritual encounter that I had with God that he knew all the disciples needed to be witnesses. Up until that point, I was not a witness. It did not make me a, one that knocked on doors and I handed out tracts, but I became the witness. I became, I embodied the purity for the first time. And zeal and just the passion for the Lord's house, everything radically shifted. So it's a very strong, um, what's the word? I'll find it later. <laughs> core value. That's the word. That's a core value of mine, is when someone is saved, they need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I, I, as soon as they're saved, I say, let's do this. You know, let's just pray for people. Because I know the power. It, yes, we have the Holy Spirit when we're saved. But you know what? There is an empowerment and an infilling that surpasses any other power that I've ever known. And I knew powers before I was saved. But that power, the Holy Spirit, became my very best friend. And I have uh, made it a priority in my life to really learn the ways of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't trust me. I don't trust myself. I've made wrong decisions, I'm flighty. And, you know, all of us have things that we can say about ourselves. But in cultivating a life in the spirit, that's the only way to live. That's the only way I know to live. Now, I'm not saying that I walk around floating around like, you know, um, I don't know, Benny Hinn. I don't walk. I've learned to live in the spirit with my feet on the ground, and I know how to stand in the glory. But there's not a moment that goes by that I'm not conscious of the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, I can't say enough about the Holy Spirit. Anyway, let's look here at the sheep. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in a greater depth of power, self-control, revelation, and wisdom. Now, when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, are we immediately endowed with power from on high? Yes. But we have to learn the ways of the Spirit and, and um, verbalize that to... That, when we verbalize, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, flow through me. Holy Spirit, I recognize you. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good night, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I need you. We activate. He's always there. He, he's indwelling in us. But without that verbal acknowledgement, that, uh, that's the key that unlocks this revelatory realm. It really is. There's life and death in our tongue. And I believe that's why he had to use the tongue, such an unruly member, it tells us in James. He uses our tongue, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because if he could control our tongue, he could control all of us. Anyway, Isaiah 11 talks, we went over that, the sevenfold spirits of God. Wisdom, which is, what is wisdom? It is the mind of the Lord. That's what wisdom is. It's the mind of the Lord. It's not uh, speaking about great mysteries, you know, or learned in books, that type of thing, although that can be a part of it. Wisdom is really the mind of the Lord. Knowledge is everything at our... We possess all knowledge. It's not only a word of knowledge, but there are books yet to be written through you. There's all knowledge in heaven that God wants to release, but we have to access it. I, I was taken up about a year ago to the library in heaven. Now, you have to understand me. I'm, I'm skeptical in a healthy way, and I think that's good. I think we need to be skeptical in a healthy way. So when people say they went into all these rooms of heaven, I'm like, I never went into any room except my bedroom, my kitchen, the church. I don't go into rooms. But then I realized I was speaking, I was cursing myself from experiencing more of God. And there are places in the spirit that we have yet gone to. But when I began to say, Holy Spirit, I need more. I want to go to these places. Anyway, the word says there are books, you know, yet to be written through all of us. Now, I know we don't add to the written, but yet there are things on the earth at this time that are yet to be written, yet to be spoken. And God is unfolding revelation in an increased and intense measure, and we are so privileged to be living on planet earth now. I mean, I never, re well, I'm only saved, what, 30 years there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of saints that have gone on before us, and yet they'd write about, you know, baptism by faith. They, there were only a few in the first century that were called desert fathers that went for 20 years in the desert, and they had these awesome mystical experiences with God, and they came back and they did mighty exploits for the Lord. Well, I believe since that point... The people that are born on the earth, are spent, they're so busy trying to be productive that we don't engage in living in the spirit. But I believe God is, he's allowing us, he's stirring a hunger in us for experiential. The church has been too fearful of experiencing God. But you know what? If these men did not experience God, we would not even have the written word. These were men that experienced God. And if God is no respecter of persons, we too can be like John. Come up here, and I'll show you things. So anyway, I began to climb the ladder. I said, Lord, and one day I was, I was just, I closed my eyes, and I found myself in this other place, and I'm like seeing books, books, and books. I was in the library of heaven, and I began to go through other doors, and the Lord was telling me, I have all knowledge. All it takes is one person that will be willing to access 
the supernatural realm, God could speak a word of knowledge to them and they could find a cure for cancer. They could find the next cure for, I don't know, diabetes. You know, it's within, if all of heaven through Jesus is deposited in us and he is all knowledge, then all knowledge resides in us. So we need to be courageous enough to break free from past traditions and saying, I want knowledge. I'm going to pursue knowledge. You have exactly what you possess because you pursue it. You pursue a job, you go for it, you get it. You pursue a wife, you find a cute girl, you marry her, right? You pursue having a baby, takes two, you have a baby. You have currently what you pursue. And you'll hold on to what you value. You really will hold on to what you value. That's why you're so fortunate to be under a church that values the supernatural, values the word of the Lord, values the prophetic. You have what you value. And you see, to the degree that you will move in anything will be what you value. I value my relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you begin to say, Lord, I want to value it, you have what you value. You'll, you'll really cherish, hold tight to what you value. <clears throat> Understanding is really un the unfolding of knowledge. Understanding is something is hidden from you, and then boom, a light bulb comes on, you understand. It's like you're in darkness, now you see. And I clearly know what that means because I, I remember there was a time... It was not really easy for me to learn in school. I loved English. I loved writing. Certain things I really loved and excelled at. But math and algebra and those other, I'm like, I, I look around. And I, I, when I went to college, I was in um, logic and statistics. I'm like, you have no, what are you doing in here, you know? But I had to take it. And I'm sitting in there, and I was so frustrated. Everybody's looking around, the teacher's drawing these strange things on the board, and they're getting it and writing it, and I'm not getting it. I had no understanding. I couldn't understand. That was so frustrating to me. I, I liken understanding to um, when you ever see the movie uh, Helen Keller? She was blind and deaf, and there's a, a picture of um, her teacher, Ann Sullivan, and she's so frustrated. This girl can't see, she can't hear. Can you imagine living in such a world of darkness? Well, her teacher takes her out, and she's trying to get her to say the word water. And she's, um, I guess it was a spigot. She's going like this, and she's writing it in sign language on Helen Keller's hand, feverishly writing it, and Helen Keller's not nothing. And all of a sudden... Helen Keller, there was a moment, she's about eight years old, she makes the correlation, and she goes, wah, wah. That's understanding. What she did not know, there came a moment in time where she finally understood. And understanding, when we understand spiritual truths, or we understand revelation, we understand dreams, that empowers us to do something. That's the power of understanding. When you understand something, you can go right into action. You understand. You can do something with it. But for frustration to rise up in many people because they don't understand the prophetic, they don't understand the things of the spirit, they don't understand when God's speaking to them, they don't understand, they give up because it's foreign to them. It's a foreign language. So what the goal is this week is to take something foreign and give understanding. Because when you have understanding, spiritual understanding, that's a great rich. That's riches that you have. It's like, does anyone know what I'm saying about understanding something? You know, it's so frustrating when you don't understand. And you see, so when we don't understand something, we assume that it's not real. And that's a lie just because we don't. Do you understand? When, when I look up at the clouds, Zoe and I were talking about this, there's been so much activity in the clouds, hasn't there? You look at the, I don't understand 
how all of this works. I don't have a scientific mind. I don't understand everything about the ways of God, but I pursue understanding. And, and I believe that that's what God wants to deposit here, is that we can understand the ways of the Spirit better this week. The Spirit of counsel, <clears throat> the Spirit of might, fear, and the Spirit of the Lord. All of this speaks, it is wrapped up in the person of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you have need of here, the sevenfold spirits of God is unveiled in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned more by the prophet Isaiah than any other prophet. And I believe that there is um, a truth there, too, that we can glean from. The book of Isaiah is a picture, really, of the whole Bible. It really is. And uh, there are 66 books in the whole Bible. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters are likened unto the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, speaking of judgment and you know, disobedience and all that. Then in the book of Isaiah, verse four, uh, chapter 40, it takes a sudden turn now and it starts speaking about the cross. It starts speaking about Jesus. It starts speaking about the anointing, the atonement, and the things of the Spirit. So Isaiah, the Spirit, of course the Holy Spirit is mentioned more in that book because it was the Holy Spirit that breathed upon this that we even have this. It's the breath of God. You know, when a, um, a child is born, what they do? They try to get the breathing free. You know, wait till he cries. When he cries, the breath. And then when a person dies, do you know how most people die? Pneumonia, when the breath is taken away. The very breath of God gives us life, and it's likened to, to spiritual life as well. First the natural, then the spiritual. <clears throat> the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy, if you want it, the, John 14, 15, and 16, those three chapters speak about the Holy Spirit in entirety of everything the Holy Spirit does. But the work of the Holy Spirit, he aids us, he assists us, he helps us, he guides us, he leads us, he gives us understanding of the word, he gives gifts, gives boldness, he teaches us, he strengthens us, he refreshes us, he protects us, he helps us pray, he gives wisdom, and he comforts us. Now, Jesus himself could do nothing until the Holy Spirit came upon him. Though he was fully God, he needed the empowerment. Jesus himself needed the Holy Spirit. So how much more do we need the Holy Spirit? The Son of Man needed to wait till the Holy Spirit commissioned him to do work. Well, you want to do something big for God? The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. I love to look at people and believers that try to do things without the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they run ahead of God or they, they make decisions impulsively and quickly, and they're not really being commissioned or led, taught, trained, guided, led. And, and that's fine because I think we all have those growing things. We all need to learn by trial and error. You know, but anyway... He was led by the Spirit, Jesus. He was empowered by the Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit. He preached by the Spirit. He taught by the Spirit. He healed the sick by the Spirit. He went to the cross and was offered up by the Spirit. He was resurrected by the Spirit, and he continues his ministry here today by the Spirit in you and I. So cultivating greater intimacy with the Holy Spirit is the key to our advancement in the prophetic. It's the key to inner healing and wholeness, to walk in integrity, and to bring forth a pure, more distinct sound. As we avail ourselves to his voice and his spirit, there is an awakening, in, I spelt that wrong, awaking, awakening, <laughs> this season to pursue purity, because we are in a season right now of no compromise. All that the kingdom of God has to offer is ours, and we must seize the moment. This can only be accomplished as we avail ourselves, yield to, recognize, and acknowledge his voice above all other voices, especially our own voice. 
I know sometimes my voice speaks loud. Does yours not? <laughs> sometimes we just need to silence our voices. You know, Jim Gold, he put a challenge out there uh, in one of his books, and it was like all of a sudden I gleaned, and I says, you know what, that's a challenge for me. He, he spent a 10-hour day for several days in absolute silence, and he uh, disciplined himself not to even talk to himself. Sit in silence? Don't words go round and round and round in our mind? Don't they? Try that. See how busy your mind is? Clamoring, lots of voices. Well, we need to exercise and do things that cultivate the life in the spirit. See, before I even go into the prophetic training, we have to get this down about the spirit of God. You know, we have to acknowledge him and yield. You know, and, and of course, we know that the, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he sent the one greater to accomplish the work. He could do it in multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people because there's no limitation. He, he was limited. There's no limitation now in us because of the Holy Spirit. And yet, why are we limited? Why do you limit yourself? What are the limitations? Is it fear? Is it misunderstanding? Is it lack of understanding? Is it um, false expectations you put on yourself? Or is it word curses that you speak over yourself? I can't do that. You need to come out of agreement with every I can't that prohibits you from being all that cre God created you to be. You know why people don't prophesy or forget prophecy, don't move in any of the gifts? Because they say they can't. I can't do that. I can't hear from God. How many people in here have said, I can't hear from God? Now, I've gone through seasons where I say, I'm not hearing from God in this season. And really what it is is sometimes you go through silent seasons, but he's, his spirit is still moving. It's just he's training you, trying to cultivate another way. So you don't get so comfortable in one way that, that he moves in your life. He doesn't want us to get comfortable because we can't, the Holy Spirit is likened unto the wind. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes. In fact, let's turn there to John um, 3. Now, this is all pertaining to the new birth. Go down to verse 6. Well, I'm sorry, let's start in 5. When Jesus answered Nicodemus, when Nicodemus has a question about, you know, how can a man be born when he is old, and Jesus tells him, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the Spirit is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I believe what this is saying to us is it goes far beyond just being born again. When you are born again, you enter the kingdom of God. And then when you enter the kingdom of God, it's a whole realm of discerning which way the wind blows. And that's our challenge. That's what I call learning how to navigate. And really, it's fun. It's fun learning how to navigate because we don't know. We don't know. Is the Holy Spirit over here in this job? Is he over here? Is he on that person's um, heart, you know, do I need to pray for this person, or, or is this the one that's struggling? Well, I'm not sure. You, you test the waters, and you learn the ways of the wind. And in those little exercises, that's where you grow and you become comfortable and confident in the working of the Holy Spirit in you. 
because it, it's like a, not a game, but I mean, it's kind of an exercise. It's, it's fun. You know, it's kind of like navigating. Anyway, um, when, when the Titanic went down, they had um, watchmen that were watching, and their instruments weren't really sharp. They were kind of using old instruments, so they really couldn't see that far out. And really, I believe that God wants to sharpen our instruments. We can't get used to the old. You know, he, he wants us to be able to see further than we've ever seen before. And I believe that that's the reason that the Titanic went down. Even though it was a new ship, they were using old gauges, or they were using things that were not reinvented. They were just taking something that was current to that time, and it was just because of that they couldn't see far enough. And I believe that God, he's wanting us to know that the sky is the limit. There's no limitations in his spirit. We need to, you know, when we say we live under an open heaven, take the limitations off. You know, just take them off. Take off the limitations of your last church or your, the last tape you heard or, you know, old systems and old methods. Today is a new day of learning how to navigate in the spirit. And if the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth, why would he deceive us? Why would you, you know, I'm not saying we don't make mistakes. But what I'm saying is, be free enough, be courageous enough to step out on a limb and say, you know what, I'm going to test this a little bit. I'm going to, you know, and the more you do that, the more sharper and more accurate you become. There, I cannot step out of the boat for anybody. There's always a place in time where you have to step out of the boat, where, you know, don't wait for a magical moment. If the Spirit of God is inside of you, you're waiting for a moment of magic, and then you say, well, now I'm going to go pray, or now I'm going to go give that person a word, or now I'm going to make that phone call. There's nothing magical. Courage. Just step out. And, and that's what I'm challenging with this week. When we do these trainings and activations, we're all going to step out of the boat. And it'll be exciting, and it'll be fun, and it'll be challenging, but you're going to see really that you can trust the spirit of truth. In Luke 11, th that's the perfect um, chapter that speaks about if, if you ask God for what? Piece of bread, is he going to give you what? A serpent. So when you ask God for a good gift, and you ask him to learn more of the ways of the Holy Spirit, come on, you think he's going to give you a deceiver? When you call upon the spirit of truth, we have to get rid of this thing of fear of deception. Because that will tie you down and bind you up and lock you down more than anything else is the fear of deception. Why? Because the fear of God keeps you safe. The fear of the Lord keeps you safe. It's the fear of man that brings a snare. That's why I said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, we already spoke about that. Walking in the fear of God is empowering. It's not restrictive. It can be restraining, but it's, it doesn't in, uh, prohibit you from, from trying the things of the Spirit. So anyway... Does that make sense? I feel like I got off on a little bit of a rabbit trail. Okay. <clears throat> Turn here to this thing. It says, Necessary Basics to Understanding Prophetic Ministry. I'm trying to simplify this. I'm a simple person, and I find when you make things really deep and complicated, people, sometimes they just give up. They say, that's a really good teaching. I wish I could teach like that. I wish I could study like that, but they don't do a whole lot with it. <laughs> These are basic steps to understand from Genesis to Revelation. I broke this down so that even a kindergarten person could understand this. In Genesis 1, let there be light. How much simpler can we go back? Let there be light indicates that the word spoken can become a reality. And that is the power and the, 
power of a prophetic word, when you speak a prophetic word, it sets something into motion for a reality to transpire. Prophetic words have the potential of becoming a reality. And when I say potential, the person receiving it has to agree with it. You can resist it. You can say, that's not God. You can show, I, I've seen this. I've seen churches fall because they did not believe the word of the Lord. So let there be light. That's the first prophetic word. Let there be light because what happened then, spoken from the mouth of God, and it was. The prophetic has a purpose. It's not just random words under the unction of the Holy Spirit. The prophetic has a, pur a purpose. In Jeremiah 1.10, let's look at Jeremiah. Now, this is the mandate given to Jeremiah. And what this speaks to me is when Jeremiah received the prophetic call, it encompassed this. Thank you. He says to Jeremiah in verse uh, 9, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. This day I have set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. So that is what the prophetic word does. It roots out deception. If you're prophesying over someone, and uh, I'm trying to think of an example in my life. I was believing a lie that I made a mistake moving to North Carolina. I wrestled with that. I went back to New York, and the prophet up there said to me, you thought that it was a mistake that you moved to North Carolina. And then he proceeds on, and he has more words. He said it was not a mistake, blah, blah, blah. It was a season of the wilderness training. So what, it rooted out the lie. It pulled it right out. Because I, I made a nice little, I dug that root deep. And I played it over and over and over in my mind. It was a, a deception. I believed it. So that word rooted out that lie. It destroys, it can destroy mindsets. Um, let's say you're believing that uh, you'll never be successful, and then the word of the Lord comes to you, and, you know, through a vessel and says, you know, I see you have kingdom finances, and I'm speaking this to you right now, the man in the red shirt, I really believe this is the word of the Lord, that God has uh, a kingdom financial plan for you to begin to seek out that... Um, there's a change, a shift going on in you right now that you're unsure of what you've done in the past and you're trying to, you, there's some seed in you and you're not quite sure where it's going, but I believe it's, it's some kind of business anointing or some plan he's going to give you to cultivate kingdom resources and kingdom finances. That's the word of the Lord for you. But you see, that will destroy a poverty mentality. It destroys it. So when you speak the word of the Lord, it does something. These are not just words that people come around and they start prophesying. These are words that do something that change and shift things. And I think we need to know that. You know, when you sign up for a job, when you go for a job, you want to know, hey, what are my benefits? You just don't want to get $10 an hour or whatever. You say, what is the benefit package? Well, this is the benefits of the prophetic what I'm sharing with you right now. It throws down, <clears throat> throws down, I'm trying to think, when it throws down something, it, it, it releases something, um, it's, it's almost like it destroys too, it throws it down. In, in other words, when you see two wrestlers or two boxers, th they have to throw it down to win, you know? And I believe that when you throw down, you're destroying something, something is going to conquer over that. So it could throw down a poverty mindset, right, and raise up something else. It could throw down a speculation or a lofty thought or a sexual thought. It, you know, the word of the Lord can destroy things and completely annihilate an old mindset. 
That's powerful. You know, when the word of the Lord comes to me, Abner had a word for me like two months ago, and it changed me. And I'm thinking, it was a, sim- it was a word, but it, it was a simple word, but it was so powerful to me. He said, I have called you to be a priest unto God. And I'm like, all of a sudden now, everything that I was doing became secondary. It was like the ministry wasn't all that important. It was important, but it became secondary. Keeping the house clean, caring for my grandchildren, everything else faded away. And I realized, all of a sudden now I got my priorities straight. Now I know what my first and initial calling is. It's a priest unto God, or priestess. <laughs> but you see, one word, prophetic word now, aligned things in my life and made order. I could see where in my life I needed some ordering. I needed to get focused once again. And the prophetic will do that. So builds and plans. So that was really building me. It builds the person up. We're going to go into the words uh, edification, exhortation, and comfort and what that means a little bit later on down the week. But it builds. I know of no other ministry that really builds like a prophetic word. And it plants. It establishes. It established the earth, didn't it? Okay. The prophetic is to bring life where there's death. And we see that clearly in the valley of dry bones. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to stop here with three, and we'll pick that up tomorrow night. I want to talk about Ezekiel 37 for a while because I see the prophetic in that one chapter of the Bible more than any other. Ezekiel 37, God takes Ezekiel, let's go there, to a valley. Now, I want you to picture yourself going to a valley, and God's taking you to a valley. I think it's interesting. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon him and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley. This was a vision, but it was by the spirit. See, the spirit of God can take us anywhere he wants. And he set him down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Can you imagine being placed in a a valley of bones, dead bones. Anyway, verse 3 says, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. In other words, he's saying, I don't know, but you know because you know everything. And don't expect me to know because you're God and I'm not. God, you know. I don't know. But yet God said to him, God's asking him, what he's really doing is he's activating Ezekiel's faith. Can these bones live? So now Ezekiel, the responsibility to interpret or to think on spiritual things is now his responsibility, but he's trying to put it back on God. So we, don't we say, don't we try and put things back on God? I'm not going to speak unless God, he'll have to speak through me. I'm not going to speak. He'll have to do it. Well, you're going to do it. The responsibility is on us as we avail ourselves to a life in the spirit. The responsibility is on us to see that God's kingdom comes to earth. And he said to him, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Surely I will close breath to enter you and you shall live, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, there's a whole chapter here on it. But really what this chapter does is it causes us to think as a spiritually minded person. Because... Many people, let's take, for example, we're looking out. Let's say Pastor Lee is looking out, and he goes to a different place to minister, and let's say the church is not even receptive. You know, they're just sitting there. They're just doing their Sunday morning duty. And he's looking out, and he's like, oh, my God, this valley. (laughs) 
this valley is dead, this valley is dry, these are dead bones. Is that a truth? Yeah, it could be a truth. But see, that's not prophetic. A lot, a lot of times we think that what we see in the now is prophetic. You know, and really, we're making an assessment to what we see now. A prophetic people looks beyond, and they look in the tomorrows. They expand their faith level to a distant place. And it stretches us because we're not comfortable in an unknown territory. And that's where we get tripped up. We're not comfortable in an unknown territory. And he said to him, prophesy. And he prophesied as he was commanded, and then as he was commanded, he spoke life. And then the bones start coming together, and, you know, the skin's going on the bones, and the whole physical transaction taking place. And then before his very eyes, what comes out of the natural, yeah, the bones are dead, becomes a real prophetic picture, the way God saw it, and his intention through the rhema word of the Lord was it became an exceedingly great army. So God wants us to begin to stretch our faith and to ask him to see beyond where we've ever seen before so that destiny comes into the now. We can create and speak destiny over people. What's destiny? It's futuristic. It's something destined, but prophetic people... We are all prophetic. Most people don't know it. I'm here to awaken that in you and tell you that you have eyes to see and ears to hear. God wants us to sow into life in the spirit and to value the working of the Holy Spirit in us. He's truth. I was so susceptible to lies when I was not saved. I, pers- I was a liar myself. I was a liar, a manipulator. My father was a liar. He was a manipulator. All I knew was lies. I got involved in the occult. I believed lies. I thought this world was, it was painfully hard for me. That was one big lie. But when I started valuing and putting stock and time and substance into seeking the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be operative in my life. Somebody last week gave me a plaque, and they said, this is what I see over you. And it was, because I, I was speaking about the Holy Spirit last Sunday, truth, T, and they spelt Ruth, R-U-T-H. And I said, that blessed me more than anything else because I've been a seeker of truth. But when I say seeker of truth, we all want truth. Well, truth resides in you. Do you not know it? The Holy Spirit is truth. God wants to demolish lies that were held captive to the way we used to be or used to do things, the way we used to respond to the Word. The Word is revelation. The Word is alive. The Word is to be functional here and now. When I went out to South Dakota... It was a very desolate place, full of death. It was a valley of dry bones. I went up to, um, not Red Bank, Rosebush. Rosebank? Anyway, it was an Indian reservation. I went up there about eight years ago. And I keep telling people it was so hard, it was so hard. It was a valley of dry bones. But what we did was we took a team. I took five people I was mentoring, and uh, we joined up with about seven other people from Morningstar. And what we did was we were knocking on doors of the Indian Reservation. And we're just saying, we just came here to bless you. We didn't go to tell them, we have a prophetic word for you. We came here to bless you. Can we bless you? Nobody refuses a blessing. We started speaking prophetic words to people. And you could see this valley of dry bones. The glimmer in the eye starts lighting up. And I believe that there were lives transformed because the word of the Lord that went forth produces something. It produces life, healing, hope, restoration, reconciliation. It does all those things that Jeremiah said, that, that God said to Jeremiah, you will root out 
You'll build, you'll plant, you'll throw down, you'll destroy. It does all those things. We have so much more inside of us, empowerment inside of us, than we even realize or have even begun to tap into. I've seen our church change, the region change, because the prophetic came into it. I've seen people's lives change. You speak a word to somebody, and their whole life can take a sudden turn. You can change your office. My daughter is a teacher. She's a fifth-grade teacher. She went and spoke a word to the principal. And as a result of that word, he went and he adopted a baby from Africa, and he started like an orphanage over there because she saw it. She spoke it, and it became a reality. So there is so much locked up on the inside of us, but we tap into it as we acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to end with that. And I want us to, what I want us to do, I want us to, um, we're going to do a simple exercise tonight. And I do this in all of my trainings. We've got to get comfortable in speaking in tongues. That's another thing. You know, there are times I'll be walking down the street and I'll just be speaking in tongues without realizing it. I've made it a habit of just speaking in tongues. I, you ask me to pray in English now, sometimes I, don't, I get tongue-tied talking in English. But anyway, I, I walk down the street. We, I used to have a friend, and we'd, we'd go down, and we'd prayer walk our neighborhood. And I remember we'd be walking, and we'd just lose ourselves. And we look up, and people be looking at us. Somebody be walking their dog, and I'm like, you lose sight of this natural realm, you know? Of course I come inside and go, oh, I better tone it down a little bit. They'll think we're crazy. But, you know, nowadays there's so many mixed cultures and everybody, they don't know what you're talking, they don't care. <laughs> but <clears throat> I want us to be comfortable with each other and in this environment. When you come to church, pray in tongues. It stirs up the, a- the atmosphere. You know, in the book of Acts, several times it said they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And it's like when you pray in the spirit and you vocalize that, it's like you're unleashing spiritual power. You're you're unleashing the well, you know, and and make it a habit. Just, Just do it.